I'm a pastor, and I want to be able to lead a congregation. I am, I am, I'm your, your, your shepherd, and I want to lead you in, in, into green pastures and still waters through the Word of God. I want, to, I want to just jump right in. And so I was like, okay, Lord, how do we do this? And so it was really about six weeks ago, it was soon after we kind of really felt like, yes, we're, this is the direction we're going, that the Lord gave me the title for, I believe, a, a, it will be a three-week sermon called More Than a Story. Because I think we can accomplish both. I want to be able to share with you a little bit of, of who we are this morning, but I want to frame the conversation first. We're actually going to spend the next three weeks looking at telling our story. Telling our story. See, because Megan and I have a story that's brought us to today. And it's an amazing story. The things that God has done in our lives, man, it, it blows my mind. I look back and go, I can't believe the ways that God has moved. But here's what I know to be true. Every one of you have a story as well. The, the fact that you're sitting in this room today, the fact that you're here, that you call this church family, this church, your home, and these people, your friends and family, it, it, this has happened because there's a story. And so we each and every one of us have a story to tell. You know, story's powerful. We, uh, we actually live in a time where, where storytelling is happening all over the place, and we have more access to story, whether it's through social media or movies or TV. Uh, you know, of course, you can still pick up a book and read a book. I'm not sure. Anyone still, like, just a voracious reader? You just can't get enough? Um, I, you know, anyone, like, made the switch to, like, the Kindle or the iPad? You're like, you like to read that way? Right on. I, I've struggled with it. I like highlighting, and it doesn't work so... Cleaning the screen on my iPad. Now, I like reading books and opening the paper. It's, it's convenient when you're traveling to have, have the iPad. We love story. We love a good, compelling, uh, heart-touching story. In fact, good stories do a couple of things. They engage us. They engage us emotionally and they engage us intellectually. When we hear a story, if you've ever gone to see a movie and then you walk out of that movie and you're like... That was a waste of money, right? Not a good story. Or maybe not a good story for you. Maybe someone else. We, we'd gone to see a movie recently, and, and we were like watching this thing going, what was it, Interstellar. We watched Interstellar. And I walked out of that movie, and I was like, okay, that was the biggest waste of time and money. We were talking to someone. We were at a restaurant with friends, and, and all of our friends were talking about this movie, and they all agreed. They are like, yeah, that was terrible. And the waiter comes up, and he goes, are you kidding? Top five favorite movie of all time. And I'm like, whoa, we have a completely different frame for what a good story is. And so a lot of it is subjective, of course. But a good story will always engage us emotionally and intellectually. It'll do something inside of us. Um, good stories can, can often teach us a lesson. We can learn something in the midst of a story. We use this a lot with our kids, right? Uh, it, for those of you who have little kids at home, you probably have a ton of, of storybooks, and a lot of those, there's a moral or there's a principle or something that they learn through the midst of the story. And, uh, or even, uh, you know, PBS. PBS is, is great at this. PBS Kids, right? We're telling stories, but in the midst of it, we're teaching Sesame Street. Oh, it's incredible. Well, a little background for me, I was born and raised in South Africa, and I moved to the States uh, when I was 18 years old. And uh, my first year when I was here, I loved to mess with people. First of all, they look at me and go, you're from Africa? 
and and uh, you know you know the questions running through their head, and then they, and then the next question would be, did you? Well, I would get this. Do you know how to speak English? And we've been having a conversation, and I'm just going, okay, um, <laughs> not very astute. Um, and I would say, well, yes, but I learned to speak English watching Sesame Street. People would just go, really? And I would say, near, far. And uh, and for those of you who watch Sesame Street, you get that. No, I did not learn English watching Sesame Street. Um, but they can teach a lesson. And then good stories are compelling. A good story can move us, can, can motivate us, can get us going. Again, uh, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a Gen Xer, and so I grew up watching movies. Movies are, are my thing. I enjoy reading, but I would rather, rather watch the movie. My wife would rather read the book and then go see the movie and then complain about how the movie misses the mark. Um, <laughs> I, I just like to go see the movie, and then she can tell me about how the movie misses the mark. Um, but a good story is compelling. I mentioned last week that I, uh, one of the things I wanted to do growing up was be a pilot. I really thought that I was heading towards some kind of career in aviation. A big part of that and shaping that in my life was this little movie called Top Gun. Right? I saw Top Gun as a kid in the 80s, and it, it gripped me. In fact, everything in my life was about F-14 Tomcats. It was all about the Navy and all, I mean, everything. I was just so laser I had a poster that hung over my bed that was seven feet long and three feet tall of an F-14 flying over an aircraft carrier. I was like, this is what I'm going to do with my life. Because of one movie, one movie, right, with an awesome soundtrack, which we were at a restaurant, the, we were at a Thai restaurant the other day, and they were playing the soundtrack from Top Gun. I'm like, well, I'm not sure how that fits, but okay. But it took me right back to that moment. A good story can be compelling. If you've ever felt that coming out of a movie theater, or reading a book, going, that's what I want to do. Oh, I want to be a part of that. That's incredible. The story is important. And just as important as a good story is the opening line of a story. We know that you, you know, if you're a, a reader, you know that a book can lose you in the first line if it's not a good one. So here's a couple that I, I think are kind of historically some good opening lines. See if you can recognize the first two are kind of generic. Once upon a time, right? We, we get most of our fairy tales. In fact, a whole TV show right now that just keeps going and going and going and going and going. Um, I don't know how many times we can rework these fairy tales. It's crazy. It was a dark and stormy night, right? We, we've heard that one. How about this one? See if you can nail this one down. The sun did not shine. It was too wet to play. What do we got? You guys know? The cat in the hat. It was the cat in the hat. How about this one? In a hole in the ground there lived a hobbit. Thank you. <laughs> yes. It's such an easy way to identify Okay, how about this one? And uh, Carol's going to be bummed that she's not in here this morning. Space, the final frontier. And right up there with it, some would argue, maybe better, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Um, (laughs) Yes, all of our Trekkies, all of our Star Wars nerds, here we go, this is awesome. In fact, Russ, Russ, I saw a picture of you, oh Bro, we got to hang out. That's just cool. That's just cool. Um, but here's my favorite opening line 
of all time and probably the most important opening, opening line. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. Here's why this is such, such an important opening line. See, because it's the beginning of your story and of my story. Every one of us has the same beginning to our story. In the beginning, God. Can I tell you when you read the Bible, it's exactly this. It's more than a story. It's more than just reading about Adam and Eve and Noah and Abraham and Samuel and David and Esther. It's more than just a story. And we can read a novel, we can read fiction and go, that was a good story. And there's people who read the Bible that way and go, oh, that was a nice story. Yeah, I felt moved. Yeah, there was some emotion there. Yeah, it was compelling. But we have to remember that this is not fiction, this is fact. And that our lives are connected to these lives and that it's more than a story. My testimony and your testimony is not just the story of who we are. That there is power in our testimony. There is power in our story. And so that's where I want to start this morning. I want to unpack a couple of verses of of Scripture that will help us frame this conversation about our story, our testimony. And then I'll spend a little time sharing with you a little bit of where I've come from, what my background is, a little bit of my God story, as I like to call it. You can say a testimony. I think God story, I just like that. It's my God story, what God has done in my life. We're going to spend some time, it's actually one verse, you know, you go from in the beginning in Genesis chapter 1, all the way to the end of the book, in Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, if we can put that verse up. The verse here in, in scripture, that's, that's it's a powerful picture of what our, our testimony is. It says this, about the saints that were being persecuted, and I apologize, I put 21, it's actually 12, 11. Revelation 12, 11, they overcame him, the enemy, by first the blood of the Lamb. Let me stop there for a second. That everything about who we are as the church, as Christ followers, it hinges upon the blood of the Lamb. Without Jesus and his sacrificial death for us, his death and resurrection, we have nothing. Hebrews says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And if our sin isn't forgiven and wiped clean, we're dead. We're dead in our trespasses, Paul says. And so we overcome first by the blood of the Lamb. That's our starting point. That's why we sing songs like this that says, no other name but the name of Jesus. Because he has to come first in our lives. He has to be, he has to take that lead. And we have to remember, I don't know about you, but there's times in my life where I've forgotten that. Or get distracted and I start thinking, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty good. Look what I've done. Look what I've accomplished. And the Lord reminds me, no, that you're the very best you have to offer, the Bible says. Your righteousness is like filthy rags. It's the blood of the Lamb. It's the work of Jesus Christ for us that changes everything. It changes everything about who we are. But then he goes on to say, John writing here as he's hearing from the Lord, they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of of their testimony. The word of their testimony. Now, there is some deep theological thoughts and things going on here that, that we're not going to fully unpack in this context. Um, if, if you're a scholar, um, I know we've got some Bible college students in here today. 
If I don't touch on things that are, are, I don't mention things here, it's not because I'm unaware, it's because we just don't have 14 weeks to go through this. Um, But there's something powerful about the word of their testimony, that when the believers who are being persecuted stand up and say, no, I've seen God be faithful in my life, Jesus has brought me through, he's done this, and he's done this, and he's done this. It becomes a reminder, not just to ourselves, but to the enemy of our souls that says, get away, you have no place. My life is hidden in Christ, you have no authority here. (laughs) Right on. When we declare it with our mouth, though, because here's the problem, church, is so often we think it, but we don't say it. It doesn't say they overcame by the thinking of their testimony. It came, overcame by the word of their testimony. When they spoke it out and when they said something, there was power. But the power of God is released when we open our mouths. When we speak the truth of God, when we declare what He's done in and through our lives, things change, lives are changed, Jesus is lifted on high. St. Francis of Assisi is quoted as saying, preach the gospel when, when necessary, use words. And I, I, I get the heart behind that, but I think we've hidden behind that a bit as a church. Because St. Francis of Assisi wasn't a quiet man. He was saying is that our actions need to follow up our words, but it doesn't give us permission to shut our mouths and not say anything. And that we need to have the boldness to declare. Listen, I'm not talking about going to your workplace with your Bible, standing on a chair in the break room and going, turn or burn. All right, that is not the word of your testimony. That's abusive, and people run away going, there's a wacko in the break room. The word of our testimony is our story. What has God done in your life? And do people know about it? And if they don't, they need to. See, because there's not one story sitting in this room that's not valuable and important to God and to the kingdom. That your story is important. Your story of how you got here today is just as important as my story. But people would say, well, you're the pastor. It doesn't matter. Those things, God doesn't see that. He sees sons and daughters. He sees sons and daughters. And your story as a son and a daughter matters to God. And it should matter to each other. It should matter to us. Can I tell you this morning, your story matters to me. I've had a chance to sit with a few of you. I sat with Dan on Friday. We had coffee, and um, I've been overloading on co- I love coffee, but I was at that point, I'm like, okay, I'm going to switch drinks. I'm going to do something else because I was just, whoo, lots of caffeine happening. But I sat with Dan right over here at Starbucks, and I said, all right, so what's your story? Tell me about yourself. Don't tell me about what you do. As a culture, we love to do that, right? Here's what I do. No, we'll get to that. Tell me about who you are. What has God done in your life? What's brought you to this place? Now we get to press into that. Why? Because the word of our testimony is powerful. It's powerful. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4 through 9 says this. The prophet Jeremiah says, The word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you 
as a prophet to the nations. I think we have that on the, for the screen. There we go. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am too young. The Lord said to me, do not say I'm too young. You must go to everyone I send you Say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you, and I will rescue you, declares the Lord. And then the Lord reached out his hand, touched my mouth, and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. I have put your words in my, uh, my words in your mouth. Sorry, I got that backwards there. Listen to this, church. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were set up, uh, born, I set you apart and I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. This word is not specific or only for, for the prophet Jeremiah. This applies to us. That means that when we read in the beginning that God was aware of you and me before those words happened in the beginning. Because we recognize that God doesn't have a beginning. That he is eternal. And that he has been aware of you and he's been aware of me for eternity that he has known the plans and the purposes of our lives forever. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart and I appointed you. How often, though, do we respond to God when he says, hey, I'm calling you out to say something? How often do we respond, yeah, but God, we might not say alas. If you say alas, that's totally rad. Um, alas, Lord. No, no way, God, there's no way. No, you've got the wrong person. There's no way, you, no, I can't. Think Moses, when God comes to Moses and he says, you're my guy, and, God, and Moses goes, I, no, I can't speak. You've got the wrong person. Jeremiah, the same response. Gideon in the, in the, wine, uh, the wine press, threshing wheat, and the angel shows up and says, arise, mighty man of valor, and Gideon's going, You've got the wrong guy. And God says, no. Before you were formed in your mother's womb, I knew you and I set you apart. Fill your name in there. God set you apart. That he has a call and a purpose. And he has a story for you to tell. He has something unique to you that, can I just tell you, the world needs to hear. That people need to know your story. We'll talk about how to do that over the next couple of weeks. It doesn't just mean you're walking down the street and finding random people and going, hey, let me tell you my story. Um, <laughs> because that can just be as, as, as awkward as well. And not that that doesn't happen. But, but we understand that God is a relational God and that he extends himself in a relational way. Think about Jesus with the woman at the well. He didn't just show up and go, hey, listen, I know about you. I know that you're living with a guy and he's not your husband and I know you've been married seven times before. He didn't lead out with that. Why? Because there wouldn't be anything else to say she would have been gone. Right? There's, there's a few of you this morning. I think I, met, I said hi to Dorothy this morning and I met Ross last week. And he had told me about his wife's name. So I went up to her and I said, hi, Dorothy. And she's like, whoa, you know, we haven't met yet. You know my name, right? When you lead with relationship, though, I'm going to find out a little bit about you. And then in a comfortable context, in the setting, the story starts coming out. You start realizing, oh, my goodness. 
wow, things are, paths have crossed. That's already happening here. It's already happening with us. I'm sure there's going to be more places we realize, whoa, we're way more connected. Why? Because we have the same beginning to our story. It all comes back to the same place. I also love this in Deuteronomy 11, chapter, eight, uh, chapter 11, verse 18. God is speaking to the Israelites here. They've come out of Egypt, and he's, he's making them a new people, a new nation. He's giving them laws and, 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 and guidelines and things to, to govern their lives because they had nothing. There were people without an identity, without a structure. And so he's helping them for this next season. And then he says to them in Deuteronomy chapter 11, Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Listen to this. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home and when you, are, and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates so that your days and the days of your children may be many in the land the Lord swore to give to your ancestors, as many as the days that the heavens are above the earth. Talk about what God has done. In fact, this was the way that the history of Israel, the power of God was conveyed through generations. He didn't just say, hey, write it down and then distribute it. Right? Find a good publisher or a good director to make a movie about it. And we've done that now, right? Charlton Heston, Ten Commandments, all that good stuff. But back then it was, tell the stories of what God has done and tell them to your children and your grandchildren. And it's not like there's a set story time. When you're at home, when you're not at home, when you're walking down the street, when you get up, when you go to sleep, tell them about my faithfulness to your, to, to, in your life. Talk about it constantly. That as a church and as a people, we need to be telling our kids about the goodness of God. Because the enemy, the Bible says, is a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. I grew up in Africa. Seen lions in the wild. Not, not on a regular basis. We actually had to go somewhere. They didn't live in our backyard. right? But the, the lions seek out the weakest and the young. There's, if you want to know one of the passions on, on making my heart for, for children, for youth, for marriage, See, because the enemy is seeking those he, he may, whom he may devour, and he goes after the kids. He goes after those who are weak, and those who are separated from the flock. He goes after those. Jesus knew what he was that the enemy is coming against us as a church, as a generation, as a people, and saying, I want to bring destruction. But when we tell the stories of the faithfulness of God and our kids hear it, that their faith is built and that they can stand. Why? Because we overcome by the word of our testimony. And it doesn't mean that it's even things that have had to happen in their lifetime. Things that have maybe happened even before they were born. Things that have happened in my life before I ever met you. I want to tell you about it. I want to share about the goodness of God in my life. I want to hear about the goodness of God in your life. I want to share about the struggles, the pain. We've walked through, through hard times as a family, as a, as a couple. I think sometimes people think, oh, pastors, pastors. That's the way, because, you know, you, everything's just perfect. If you take a class in Bible college, it teaches you how to have the best marriage ever. 
No, that didn't exist. The year that we went to life, something like 23 couples got engaged, got married, and I, of the couples that we know, I'd say a good half of those are no longer married. Because the enemy is coming against the church. He's coming against marriages. He's coming against people that would take a stand for his kingdom. And so we have to share the stories of what God has done and where he's been faithful in the places where we've not been faithful, maybe. I've got, I've got scars. I've got things that, that are part of my story that I'm not like, oh, I'm proud of that. What I'm proud of is what Jesus has done to restore my life. So we share our testimonies being real, but bringing the focus back to the blood of the Lamb. This is what Jesus has done. This is the power of God to save. So I was born in South Africa. I, uh, I lived there for 18 years of my life. Um, I, was, I grew up in church, always been a part of church as long as I can remember. I actually gave my life to Jesus. I was five years old at a church family camp. And it's one of my earliest memories. I remember the little A-frame chapel I was in. Um, I remember the lady who prayed with me. I don't remember her name, but I remember her face. I remember her leading me in the prayer where I gave my heart to Jesus. I remember at seven years old at our church, the pastor saying, inviting anyone who wanted to be filled with the Holy Spirit to stand up where our church was meeting in a big tent at the time. There was a smaller tent off to the side, and I remember him saying, if you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, come up front, and then we'll, you'll be taken outside to this other tent, and people will pray with you. Seven years old, I was like, I want that, and I just went up. And I remember that day, sitting in that little blue chair, a lady prayed a simple prayer with me, and I remember being filled with the Holy Spirit at seven years old. I um, was around church a lot. One of my best friends growing up is actually a pastor of a church in South Africa. But it never... Even though I was around church a lot, I never thought I wanted to be a pastor, that God was calling me. I didn't have the desire. Remember, I wanted to be a pilot. Um, but it, so it was never part of kind of my, my vision for the future. Um, our family left South Africa for a couple of years in the 80s. We moved to Hawaii um, to be a part of YWAM. And just if you're wondering, my parents were not missionaries. We're not missionaries in Africa. Fourth generation South African. We actually left... Africa to be missionaries to Hawaii. It was rough. Um, um, it was in Hawaii as a teenager that I started learning that God actually wanted to have a personal relationship with me. I was a good kid. I had always gone to church, obeyed my mom because I was afraid of her. And, uh, oh shoot, this is getting recorded, isn't it? Oh well. <laughs> um but had never made the connect that the God of the universe actually wanted a personal, thriving, vibrant relationship with just me. Never made that connect. And so uh, I was 13 years old. And uh, I felt uh, there was a group of my friends that were going on a missions trip. It was 1988. They were going on a missions trip to, uh, to Korea to be part of the Olympic Games there. And, uh, and I'd been hanging out with them, and I knew they were going, and... And so one of the leaders said, hey, do you want to be a part of this trip? You need to pray about it and hear from the Lord. And I was like, yeah, I hear God saying I need to go be a part of this and uh, hang out with my friends. Plus, there's some cute girls going. Absolutely. Um, but then I had to go get a visa for the Philippines. And as a South African citizen, uh, there's 
Philippines had sanctions on, the, uh, on South Africa at the time. And so my dad and I flew to Honolulu, went to the Philippine embassy, walked up to the counter. It was, it was one of those moments I just remember clearly. Walked up to the counter. My dad said, my son needs a visa to go to the Philippines. And the lady said, country of citizenship. And he said, South Africa. And she said, no. That was it. No conversation, no discussion, no, oh, I'm going on a missions trip. Maybe there's some, I, I have a green card. I'm living it. No, no, that was it. Next. I remember in that moment going, what is going on here? Lord, I really thought that's what I was supposed to do. I ended up spending that summer mowing the grass at the YWAM base uh, on Big Island. I had a big tractor I used to drive around for hours because grass grows really fast in Hawaii. And, uh, and so I just spent hours every week mowing the lawn, really angry at God that my friends were having a good time, and I was stuck here mowing the grass. And I remember sitting, I can take you to the exact spot where I was riding on this red llama, we're over, look, looking out, it was the north end of the big island of, of Hawaii, and looking out over the water, looking at Maui, and I remember in that moment was the first time I heard the voice of God, and it wasn't an audible voice, but I felt presence of God like it never felt before, and I knew that God was speaking to me, rocked my world. If I had gone and done Hawaii, I mean, in, on missions trip, I wouldn't have missed, I would have missed that opportunity. It was a defining moment for my life. We ended up moving back to South Africa, uh, went to high school there for a few years, and then in 1991, I moved back to the States, actually by myself, I just turned 18. Um, had a green card at that point. Uh, there was a required military service in South Africa, and I didn't want to jeopardize my green card. And so I talked my parents into letting, into letting me move back by myself. Turned 18, got on a plane, and moved to Olympia, Washington, where I actually stayed with some friends, house sat for a few months. But six months later, my, my family ended up following and coming uh, to the States. Started attending church in Olympia. I'd never heard of Foursquare before, but started going to a church called Church of Living Water. Uh, my friend was going there. It was a great church. Immediately got involved in serving. Uh, started helping out with the junior high ministry. Uh, and was a was a great time. Uh, enjoyed being there. Um, but I was still not settled about the direction of my life. Didn't know where God was taking me. Um, I tried the, uh, the aviation field up in Washington, of course, with Boeing there. I was like, this is perfect. Doors closed. Uh, I, was, I was just trying to, going to do in business school. I was going to try and do drafting, computer drafting. Doors closed, doors closed, doors closed. I was tired of living at home. And I was, quite frankly, I was tired of being a good kid. I was tired of being a good kid. All my friends were off of college now, partying and having fun. And I was stuck at home working two jobs. I'm trying to support and help support my family. I thought, that's it. I'm done being a good kid. I'm going to go live it up. I'm going to move to Phoenix and go and party and go to school. But my heart was to go party. And the door closed. And I was just frustrated. Of course, I'm still going to church because I'm a good kid. And I, and, and it just, I couldn't just let loose. There was something inside of me. A friend of mine at church says to me, Hey, Barry, I know you're trying to figure out where to go, what to do with your life. I'm going to Life Bible College, as it was called at the time. I'm going to Life Bible College. You should go. And I'm thinking, yeah, I can't go party at Bible College. You're ruining my plans. But I didn't know that I needed to get out of town. And so one out of two wasn't bad. 
And uh, I applied, the doors opened, the provision was there, and two weeks later I was in my car driving down I-5. As I'd mentioned before, I think last week, I can take you to the spot on the campus where I parked my car, set foot on that campus, and the Lord spoke to me just like he did to Jeremiah. I don't know if it was an audible voice for Jeremiah, it wasn't audible for me, but I knew. There was that settledness in my spirit, it's as close to audible as I've ever got. The Lord just dropped in my heart and said, this is what I've called you to. This is what I've set you apart for. Stop chasing other things. This is who I've called you to be. That was it. I met Megan in college. We started dating. Our first, my first year was her second year. Um, we were married about a year and a half later. Um, family started pretty much right away. Uh, I crammed four years of college. Um <laughs> Uh, it was, I actually had, I remember one of my last classes of life was a night class. I was a junior high pastor full-time at a church called Florence Avenue. Melissa uh, was, was there, part of our youth group. Um, I, I, I was getting to pastor full-time, go to church, at, uh, go to school at night. I was getting to apply everything I was learning. It was, it was awesome. One of my last classes, one of the students that was in class with me, was one of my first junior high students when I became a youth pastor. And she introduced herself that, this way. She said her name and she said, and that, he was my junior high pastor. And I'm like, oh boy. Um, but I finished. I finished. And uh, I, it's funny how sometimes we make these agreements with God. You ever done that? Any, anyone like bar, you know, barter with God? It doesn't always go the way you plan, right? I, we, had, we had determined we're going to get married, we're going to have uh, finish school, get a job, and then have kids. That was the order that was supposed to go. I graduated from college on my daughter's first birthday, and she's our fourth child. And I know, I'm not, like I said, I've not ever heard the audible voice of God, but I'm pretty sure I heard him laughing that day. <laughs> How'd that work out for you? Um, we were youth pastors at Florence Avenue Four Square Church for about 10 um, and then in 2004, we uh, were on visiting fam- family up in Alaska, where Megan's family is from, and uh, felt the Lord, heard the Lord call us to plant a church in Anchorage, Alaska. 2005, we moved to Anchorage. We were there for five years. Got to pastor uh, a great small church in uh, in, the, in a town that is is really hard hard to reach. Uh, the, the fierce, independent Alaska spirit is alive and well, and it applies to people in the city as much as it does to all the TV shows you guys are watching about Alaska. Um, it was, a, it was a, one of the richest, greatest seasons of our life, and, and there was a lot of hurt and a lot of pain and a lot of struggle in the midst of that, and we'll get to share more about that uh, in our future together. You'll hear that come out because it's been a very defining part of who we, who we are more than anything, we've seen the hand of God and the graciousness of God. Can I just tell you, God is loving and He is gracious and He is kind. He is kind. And uh, even when we are just supreme knuckleheads, that He, that there's nothing that we can do, right? Paul says this, what can separate us from the love of God? Nothing. Nothing. Even when we think we're too far, God goes, yeah, no, you're fine. I got you. And so God met us in a, in a difficult place. We moved back to California in 2000, 
and 10, January 5th, 2010, we loaded up our car, the U-Haul trailer, and we drove the Alaska Highway in the middle of winter. Um, that was quite the adventure. Um, got back to California. Not quite sure about what was next. Actually, wasn't sure if I even wanted to be a pastor anymore. I, I had that moment where God called me, but I thought, well, maybe that was for a season, and now I'm supposed to go do something else. God just said, I'm not done. I'm not done. But we've got some work to do. So uh, we traveled for a season. We lived full-time in an RV for a year and a half with our family, homeschooled our kids, actually spent time encouraging pastors of small churches, uh, got to visit, um, in fact, a lot of you know uh, Shaden and Kim Crabtree. Uh, Tom and Deb connected us with them. We got to spend time with them in Battle Mountain, took a team up there to put a new roof on the church. And our heart was just to go and love on pastors because I appreciate what Kelly said last week. Sometimes churches can beat up pastors we thought, you know, let's, let's just go love on pastors. and uh, It's a dream of ours, and, and I believe you'll hear more about it because that, that ministry, that heart for us is not gone. We've just got to figure out where and how. Um, but we, we want to love on pastors. And encourage them. Um, at the time, though, we were part of a church in, in Rancho Santa Margarita called The Bridge. Uh, friends of ours had pa- planted that church uh, when I was the junior high pastor of Florence Avenue, Ryan was the high school pastor. Him and his family went to, to Rancho, planted this church. So when we came back to California, that's where we landed. It was our home church. And after a year and a half, sitting with Ryan and said, you know, we, we, we know that God's called us to stop traveling, and we believe we're supposed to serve and be a blessing to this church. Not asking for a position because it wasn't available. But you're ready to say, we'll, we'll serve for free and figure out how to make a living, but we want to be a blessing in this church. And Within six months, God had brought the provision in for the church to be able to hire us full-time. And, uh, and we've been there at the bridge for the last three years uh, doing missions. I was the missions pastor, and we did junior high youth once again. It keeps coming back to junior high for us, and we love junior high. And it was there just nine weeks ago that I got the call from Pastor Kelly. That is the most nutshell version I could give you right now. That's a little backstory, right? Good stories have backstory. They help catch us up with who the characters are. You'll get to hear more. You'll get to hear about Megan and her testimony. Um, our kids, ask our kids about their testimonies. They'd love to share. But we want to hear from you. See, because I believe with every fiber of my being that just as God had set Jeremiah apart, before he was formed in his mother's womb, that God has called each one of you. And as a pastor and as a shepherd, as we even talked about last week, Ephesians chapter 4, that my job, my responsibility, and the responsibility of our pastoral team is not to, to, to do ministry and then have you support us. And I tell you, that makes me cringe. And I hear people in churches all the time, we're just here to support the pastor. No, the pastor is here to support you. That you are the ministers of New Community Church. That God will use your stories and your testimony to turn this city upside down for Jesus. And that I have the privilege and the honor of coming alongside of you and helping to pour into your life and encourage you and equip you and be a blessing to you to, to be able to bring you into this place and teach the Word of God so that you're better equipped to go and do the work of the ministry. 
That is my passion. That is my heart. And so why is story important? Why is your story important? Because it's more than a story. Because it's more than a story. Revelation talks about the end times. I believe with all my heart that we are living in end times. And even if we aren't, we need to live like we are anyway. Because people need to hear. People need to know. People need to see Jesus in you. Your story is a key part of how they're going to see and hear about the goodness of God. Let's stand together this morning. I'm going to invite, as I pray in a minute, I invite the, the prayer team to come forward. Do you need prayer this morning? For anything. For anything. We're available, the prayer team is available to pray with you. We want to stand with you, we want to encourage you. Uh, We want to believe that God wants to move mightily in your life this morning. If you're struggling with your story, if even as I've been speaking, you're kind of wrestling with, you know, yeah, maybe for you, but my story doesn't matter. Maybe you're thinking, well, my story is just getting started uh, and I don't have a lot to share. I tell you right now that the enemy will want to come against you and try and rob you of the word of God. In fact, that word of your testimony, the, the, the word is not just simply words coming out of your mouth, but the word is the rhema. It's the word of God. The things that God is doing coming out of you, the spirit would move in your life. The Bible says that the enemy wants to steal that. I encourage you this morning, don't let the enemy steal the seed, the word that's been deposited in your heart today by the Holy Spirit. Not by me, I'm just some dude. I'm just some guy. I'm new here. But the Holy Spirit has been here since before this church existed and before you were knit together in your mother's womb. So he knows where you are right now. He knows where you've come from. But can I tell you, church, more importantly, he knows where you're going. He knows what lies ahead. And that's the hope that Hebrews talks about. We have this hope as an anchor for our souls that our story's not done. So Father, this morning in the mighty name of Jesus, I ask, Lord, that you would cause the stories in this room to come alive. That you would cause the stories in this room and in this fellowship amongst these believers. Lord, that those stories would come to life, that they would be shared, that they would go out and have an impact in, the, in this community for the kingdom of God. Lord, I pray that this week, this week, that this congregation... Lord, that this fellowship of believers, Lord, that we would have opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to share our God story with people. Even people that we thought, Lord, would never want to hear. Lord, that you would open those doors and that we would be ready to speak. Lord, your word says that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb. I pray for anyone this morning who feels like they're not an overcomer, but that they are being overcome by the things of this world. Lord, the the, the relationships, finances, Lord, whatever, the things that would want to come against them. God, I pray that you would turn those things around, and Lord, that you would cause them to be an overcomer in you because of the blood of Jesus and because of the faithfulness of a God who loves them. 
We thank you for this church. We thank you for what you're doing. And we look forward to all that you have in store. We give you praise. In the mighty name of Jesus, we say together, Amen. 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 Do me a 